0: Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, Mother Daughter Team, Dr. Gloria, and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation, with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Our guest today is Julie Lang, and our topic, like you said, is loss of a child through substance abuse. Julie Lang lost her youngest son, Justin, at age 16 in 1993 to suffocation while sniffing nitrous oxide. Her story is a healing journey through tragedy and loss into a life of unexpected joy and richness. Julie is the author of Life Between Falls, a travelogue through grief and the unexpected. Welcome to the show, Julie. Thank you, Heidi. And I want to thank you both so much for the
1: beautiful, compassionate work that you do you know, you touch so many people's souls through your show, and I'm so grateful to be a part of it today.
2: Well, Julie, thank you so much for saying that. I, You know, I was reading, I, it's, last night I was reading through, uh, some of your book, and, and I read the little thing you put to me in your book. You said, with admiration for all you do to ease the suffering of those who grieve. You know, I feel like that the people who come on the show are so amazing, the sharing and the mm-hmm. sharing of their story is such such an honor to be witness to it, I think don't you, Heidi?
0: Absolutely, I always say our show is is a great show because our guests are so wonderful and open,
2: yeah, it really has been wonderful, and for you, oh, an incredible book, an incredible story. Could you talk a little bit about uh Justin's death in nineteen ninety three
1: Yes, of course, um you know first I just want to say Justin was um just this terrific kid, you know he had sort of sandy hair and and blue eyes and freckles and a really impish sense of humor and a great compassion for other kids and for animals, and he showed that every day. And he just wasn't the person that anyone expected this to happen to, which I think was one of the reasons it, it came as such a shock not only to our family but to the whole community but, um, you know, I was at work one day um, getting ready to go home, and <coughs> excuse me, I, I called the house um, to see what my kids were doing. My second and third sons, Justin, were still at home with me. And my older son, uh, John, was out of school, and he was working. Um, but, you know, he often was home at this time of day, and um, Justin was in high school. And so, you know, it was just one of those routine calls to see, well, okay, what are we up to tonight? What should we do for dinner? Yada, yada. And my son John answered, and he said there were police everywhere and that they had just taken Justin away in an ambulance. Mm -hmm. And um, I needed to come to the hospital, and that's all he knew. And uh, I really, I still don't know. How I got to the hospital it was about a half hour drive from where I worked and somehow um, my car got there with me in it and I just didn't know what to expect until I saw um, my older sons John and Joe sitting on the curb outside of the hospital waiting for me and I saw their faces and I knew that it was just not a good thing and When I went inside, he was in the emergency room, and he was hooked up to all kinds of equipment, and I learned that he had um, been using, uh, you know, he and some friends after school had been using nitrous oxide, which is uh, what we call laughing gas, you know, Mm -hmm. dentists use it, and. Um, It's actually not even a controlled substance, but one of his friends had gotten his hands on a big tank of it and had stowed it away in my basement somewhere, uh, unbeknownst to me. And so after school, the kids had come over. There was maybe five or six kids who came over, and they were just taking hits off of it to get high. Mm -hmm. And they were putting uh, plastic garbage bags over their heads so that they would take in more of the gas into their lungs. And um, anyway, at some point, uh, Justin suffocated. Mm. And um, the mm-hmm. the boys, you know, tried to do CPR, I guess, and then they called 911. And by the time that Justin was uh, there in the hospital, he was in a coma, a very deep coma. And... Um, I I just couldn't let it in, but it was so shocking to me because I really didn't know anything at all about nitrous oxide, Mm -hmm. and I had no idea that the tank was there, and, you know, I I think one of the hardest things about it was that, you know, this happened to Justin in my own home, in the place where he should have been most safe, Mm -hmm. but I was just completely ignorant about this particular substance, and I, I... I didn't know anything about inhalant abuse or huffing. I mean, I had kids, older kids, who had been through high school, so I kn- knew pretty much about other recreational drugs that kids experimented with. And, you know, I'm a child of the 60s and 70s, so I wasn't ignorant about drugs, but I just didn't know about inhalants. I knew nothing about it, even though I later found out that <clears throat> one in uh, five eighth graders have
2: experimented with inhalants. Well, you later went out and spoke to groups about it and and really got quite involved in it, didn't you? I did,
0: yeah. Well, well, and I think it's normal not to know about everything your kids are doing and not to know about this this kind of huffing thing. I remember, and my mom doesn't know this. I'm going to tell her something that she doesn't know about. (laughs) When I was in high school, I worked in an ice cream parlor, and in the back we had whipped cream. And if you and it was in a big tank in those days, and you could get a high off of sucking on it, and we we would. Yeah. Oh. Before, well, just a really quick high off it. You didn't put a bag over your head, but you sucked on it, and then you served the with cream over the ice cream or whatever.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you so, know, you know it's, it's, it, 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 for a long time, I don't know if it still is, but for a long time, it was a big thing at concerts. You know, people would bring these tanks, like the one that was in my basement. And they would fill up balloons with the nitri- nitrous oxide, so that kids could just inhale it from the balloons and get a quick high. hmm So uh, that's probably and what. And you know
0: what, Julie? Great, wonderful children experiment with things like this.
1: Oh, I know that's true now.
0: I, yeah, I, right. I know that's true now. For for, for our listeners out there, because I think yeah, sometimes uh, there's you know a stigma attached. Did you find that or no?
1: No, I you know, I didn't. Um, people were mm-hmm. incredibly kind to me and mm-hmm. very gentle. And um, for the most part, when I went out and started to talk about this and share my story, people were just very grateful to hear about mm-hmm. it because they didn't know either.
2: Right. And what right. about the guilt and shame of having it happen to your house? I kind of got some of the feel from that from your book.
1: Yeah, that was the toughest thing, you know, that I'm the parent, and I was supposed to be the one that protected him. And, and yet in my home, where he was supposed to be safe, is where he died. And, mm-hmm. you know, I just felt this intense feeling that I had let him down. But, you know, it's funny. I didn't feel it at first. It wasn't until I didn't let myself feel that at first. And it wasn't until some time had passed that that started to seep into my consciousness. And that was one of those layers of grief that I went through was coming to terms with that sense of guilt and shame.
0: And and did you come to terms with that? I read somewhere that you said you had a very compassionate therapist. Yes. And I loved to hear that. I love hearing that if you get the right fit, it can be very, very helpful to see a therapist. Well, I feel like she
2: saved my life. I really You talk it. about the dreams uh, work she did with you. I want to talk about that. But one of the things I want to say about you from reading your book, Life Between Falls, and, and uh, we'll talk about the falls were the death of your son and then what a year later, the death of your dad and then a year later, the death of your grandmother. Yeah. You want me so to talk three? about You also time. had the death of a brother, though. Uh, you yeah, know, that's right, USC4. about five
1: years prior to that.
2: Yeah, even before Justin died. But yeah. one of the things that is so impressed me about your book is that you were at wit's end. For our audience out there who feel like, you know, that they haven't gone low, you know, that, that that maybe you haven't gone as low as they have. Oh my goodness, you were going bankrupt. You were practically homeless. I yeah. mean, and still you found courage to to step out and try to help the community and and do things and come out of it. How did? Where did you find that? Well, you know, I have to say that,
1: it you know, it was, um, there were times when I did feel completely abandoned and helpless and alone. I mean, I was a, a single mom and my son was dead. My dad was dying a slow, excruciating death from stomach cancer, or colon cancer, actually. And my business had collapsed. I was really dead broke. So I I spent a year, and I was really emotionally disabled. I was unable to even support myself, and I felt picked on by fate sometimes. But then, you know what? Some of my most desperate moments, there would be these flashes of serendipity, and it would seem like blessings would just rain down on me out of nowhere. Money would fall into my hands to pay the electric bill just when it was getting ready to be cut off or a rainbow, a real rainbow would appear in the sky just when a storm was brewing in my heart. There were times when I just felt like
2: invisible hands
1: were carrying me alone, along when I couldn't stand on my
2: own. Mm-hmm. So Amazing. I'm sure our audience could identify with those strange little things that happen in that moment of most despair. Somebody calls or something gets delivered. I
0: mean, just really strange little events. Can you identify with that, Heidi? Absolutely. I mean, I definitely felt like I hit a really bad place after Scott died, and I I remember being on Outward Bound and and feeling like I couldn't go on, and feeling some kind of force. It felt like hands pushing me up the mountain, yeah and it was very strange. I honestly believe he was there with me that day. I believe
1: he was too, Heidi. Mm-hmm. I believe well, that it's too.
0: Strange how things come come
2: forward to help us and. And when we come back from break, I want to talk more about how those things do come forward and how they do help us and how we can find hope again, because I do a compassionate friends group, and some of the most compelling stories are people who have had kids die of some kind of accidental substance abuse or whatever, and and there is just such a depth. And and I'm picking up something from you that I think is interesting, because it seems to... um, be quite long Uh, they don't seem to as time goes on there seems to be some more layers of grief involved with that when you've had that kind of a loss i wanted to uh, tell people how to get your book julie and you've got a website too right
1: that's right um the website is www.lifebetweenfalls.com and you can get the book on amazon there are a lot of other online uh, booksellers who also carry it um, it can be ordered through your bookstore as well, but I, I would say Amazon is the easiest way to go.
2: Okay. Well, Julie, uh, when we went to break, I was talking a little bit about, you know, you really were down and out. You lost your son. You you lost your dad. You lost your grandmother. And you lost your house eventually. And I thought it was interesting in the book you talk a little bit about clearing out um your son's things, Justin's things, out of the house, and um, because some people wonder about when to get rid of things, uh, how did you give up all those things, and how, uh, where did you find his strength? You said you had a good therapist who did dream work. I know, but what did you find from within yourself?
1: Well, you're right about that time when it was when it was the moment when I, I finally had to go through his things, and I really was forced to because. Um, as you said, I was losing my home. Um, uh, it was in foreclosure, and so I put it on the market to just try to, you know, get it sold. Um, and of course, it had happened in a, a time when the market was terrible, like just like right now. So there was absolutely no equity in it at all. But um, you know, his bedroom had just been kind of untouched since it happened, and this was about. Um, i guess about a year and a half after it happened and i i i started to go through his things and you know there were these just such poignant reminders of who he was like he died in september at the beginning of the school year and so here was this spiral notebook with just two pages that were filled in and the whole year ahead of him was incomplete because he didn't get to, to be there and there were you know, little notes that he had passed in school, and stuffed animals that he, that he he had that were precious to him, and keepsakes from the Jersey Shore where he used to go with his friends. Um, so each thing that I looked at, it was so dear and so precious, and it was it was so, it was bittersweet because you know I loved looking at it and having that memory, but at the same time it was so hard to let go. <coughs> but um I, I was able to find places uh, to, to donate a lot of his clothing. And some of his friends came around and, and took little keepsakes. And my sons kept a lot of the keepsakes. But, you know, I think for everyone that is the hardest thing is to know how much to keep, what to let go of, and, you know, there's just nothing that makes it any easier.
2: And then you had someone ask you to ghostwrite for them, right? Well, yeah, this when you,
1: was, this was um, you know, after a, a ye- about a year of unemployment and just sort of being in a dead zone of um, immobility. I mean, I was just kind of frozen in grief for a year and trying to find a place to work, and there was, th- th- nobody would hire me. I mean, I don't blame them because I was a mess, and I was uh, overqualified for the things that that I could probably have managed to do because I, you, know, I couldn't you, ran, you ran
2: your own advertising agency at one time, right?
1: I did, yeah. And you know, I was the one who went out and got the business. So you have to be on for that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I was not on, and I, you know, I just couldn't do anything that required any kind of emotional e- energy. So the few kinds of jobs that I might have been able to do, they didn't. They, they thought, well, you know, why would you want this job? You're overqualified for it. And the kind of jobs that I was qualified for, you know, they took one look at me and. <laughs> said, uh, I don't think so, but I don't blame him for that. I was really in no condition. And then my son, my oldest son, he worked for um, EDS, and they were looking for a receptionist for a new division of the business. And uh, because they had such a high regard for my son, they hired me. And I have to say, you know, that was a huge blessing because it didn't really require any kind of emo- emotional energy But it got me back into the world of work, and that was very important. And in the meantime, i had started doing nonprofit work. I'd started working in substance abuse prevention, and I'd started started to do some community building with other people in town around finding things for kids to do so they didn't get in trouble with drugs. So uh, in connection with that, I, I started to do a lot of publicity again, which I knew how to do, and I had started writing, and... Um, I had come to the conclusion that writing was something I I wanted to do. But, you know, how do you just become a writer? I mean, you just don't go out and become a writer. Um, But I had written a letter to a good friend of mine on the West Coast whose friend had died, and she was so touched by the writing in the letter that one day I'm sitting at my desk and the phone rings, and it's her, and she wants me to come out to the West Coast and ghostwrite a book for her, mm. totally out of the blue. And it was on the anniversary of Justin's death.
2: Wow. Oh, Which, my goodness. No uh, mistakes, you know, right? You can't make up stuff like this. No. No, no, you can't. So what would you say to our folks out there who have just suffered a loss? What if I'm in my first year? Well, you know, I think
1: that you... Well, for first let me just say, I don't think that you can compare one person's pain with another. Everybody's heart is broken in a different way, and so my journey is going to be different from everybody else's journey that's out there. But I, But one of the reasons I wrote the book was to help people who are in that dark night of the soul to just be gentle with themselves and understand that it's okay. No matter what you're feeling, no matter what you're going through, it's okay. Let yourself grieve. But it's also really important to not get stuck in it. And so there were some things that really helped me to keep from getting stuck in it. And one of those things was, um, you know, I think one of the reasons people get stuck is because they're afraid that if they stop grieving, then the memory of, person that they've lost goes away, that somehow they're absent because, the per- because they've stopped grieving. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I did to be able to move on with my life and still continue to honor Justin's memory was that as I began my work as a writer, I wrote some children's books, I wrote uh, a musical for kids, and he I made him the, the main character in those stories. And so he lived on as a character, and and I felt like we were working together on those creative works. I think creative work of any kind that helps you to express your feelings is so important, whether you're writing a journal, writing poetry, whether you're creating artwork. um, Whatever it is that you can express what's in you gets it out of you and keeps it moving, so it doesn't get stuck in you. So I really found that was extremely valuable to me.
2: And you also talked about the fact that you made new friends and different friends, and that you were a part of your community for the first time.
1: That's right. Because of the because I started speaking out in the community about uh, inhalant abuse, people in the community um, heard about it and asked me to come to speak and. I started to meet people, you know, before that, I really only knew the parents of my my kids' friends, because that's who you see at the soccer games, yeah, that's who you see at the PTA meetings, so I didn't really have a good, strong sense of community, but by starting to get together with these people that I was meeting in the community, we started to work on how can we prevent this kind of thing from happening again, what is it that is causing kids to experiment with drugs, and how can we, how can we address that? And we, so we started to get together. Uh, actually, we got together on Fridays at lunchtime. It was uh, almost all other moms, and it turned out to be the new cool thing to do is to go have lunch at Tucker's with this group of moms and figure out what are we going to do to keep our kids safe. And then we started to draw in high school kids to be a part of the process because, you know, you really can't invent things for kids to do. They have to, they have to tell you what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we started brainstorming, and um, we started to have these uh, coffee house nights where kid bands would come to play, and um, pretty soon we had created a teen center in town and they, we'd have open-mic nights, and there would be uh, young poets who would speak and read their poetry. One night, I, you know, I was just transfixed when this one young woman read her poem, and it just brought me to tears. It was so beautiful. These kids had so much to express and so much um, talent that was there was no place for them to go with it. And our, the teen center that we created gave them that outlet so that they didn't have to, you know, hang out and, and be bored and experiment with things that were dangerous.
2: You know, um, I wanted to um, just read something that you wrote at the end of the book before we finish our show, um, where you said uh, that but another part of me, a deeper surer part, argues that his death would be an even greater tragedy if nothing good came of it. If I can grow into a better human being through this ordeal, in some small way the world becomes a better place and his spirit lives on in that goodness.
1: Thank you for sharing that. I, I really love it when I hear other people read pieces from my book. It's such a gift. Thank you.
2: Well, your book is so filled with hope and courage and moving on and giving other people courage and saying, that uh, and maybe you use it better than I. But t- talk about life and how there will be challenges. Yeah, you know, um,
1: I also just wanted to mention um, something that's in the the book too about how not that long before he died, Justin came home from a trip to the Jersey Shore and he had bought this little pendant that he was wearing around his neck, and it was the yin yang symbol, which is uh, a, a Chinese symbol. Uh, that i'm sure everybody's familiar with but he'd never seen it before and he didn't know what it meant and he asked me about it and so i told him that it was about the balance between light and dark and that you know that that there's no that life is filled with both light and dark moments and that you can't have one without the other and he was so pensive about that and And he said this most extraordinary thing for a 16-year-old. I mean, it was so not like him to say something like this. But he said, Mom, I want to be a messenger of yin and yang. Mm -hmm. And I have thought so many times since then that he is, he still is a messenger of yin and yang, because in spite of all the pain and darkness that came from losing him, it opened up so much light in my life. And my life is fuller and more joyful and more meaningful than it ever was before. And he's still so much with me. And that wow. is the meaning of yin and yang.
2: Oh, uh, Thank you so much for being on the show today. And I want to close with that. It's such a wonderful uh, thought about hope in the future after we've had such losses.